Hello and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm Jill Manoff filling in as host today for Danny Parisi and I'm here with fashion reporter Zofia Zviglinska who's going to go deep on all the big news of the week. Welcome Zofia. Hi, lovely to be on again. Yeah, I'm excited about our conversation. We have a jam-packed show today. We're going to be talking about Fashion Month, which actually we're going to say starts this week with Copenhagen, um, and which brands are showing where and why in some of the drama that's ensued this past week. We're also going to be talking about the rumored acquisition of Tom Ford by Estee Lauder, which was surprising to everyone and anyone. And then finally, um, how integrated metaverse retail came to London this week. Um, We'll dive a little deep on what experiential means, what's working, and what brands are are trying, but let's start with Fashion Month. Gosh, Sophia, you called out Copenhagen, and which I love the fashion that comes out of that event and that week every single time. I didn't even think of it. Like, do they distance oh. themselves from the usual month every time? On like, would you think that's intentional? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, like it's such a big thing, you know, in Europe, and especially with their sustainability credentials. I think a lot more brands and kind of like media and getting involved, like definitely this year, but also kind of last year. Um, and I think with them now, you know, hosting the um, the sustainability summit that was on, I think in April, I think it's just a big destination for brands who are kind of putting planet first and making sure that that's kind of part of their action plan. So I think there's some people showing from Rayburn um, and then all of the classic kind of um, Copenhagen brands as well. So it's a it's a big show now. Yeah, I think it's growing. Even the the street style. I mean, is Copenhagen yeah. open and kicking and we can follow that this week? I'm sure it's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be amazing. And there's always so many interesting like people and conversations coming out of there. So I, I would I would put it along with the other four at the moment. Um, but yeah, there's so many events on around kind of fashion month that, you know, it's kind of hard to keep track of everything. I mean, you've got like Tokyo one, which is after Paris as well. So lots of stuff to, to go through. I was going to say that it calls to mind the news that we w- really wanted to touch on today, which was that Milan Fashion Week, which happens, I would say, number three in the, the, the four week order, um, is asking for more time. Um, at the same time, like you mentioned, um, Fashion Weeks in Copenhagen in China, they've really um, gained a lot of traction. They're not even part of this month long event. Like, does it matter, first of all, <laughs> when brands show? Like, do we need to be elongating this? super long calendar that every editor had that's ever written <laughs> about shows has <laughs> has bitched and moaned that two two months of their year is spent running around and working but um yeah talk talk a little bit about that news what's going on is they do they have um a legit cause in your mind for for pushing for that yeah i don't know i mean obviously the italian fashion association came out with um a statement from their ceo carlo capasa saying that they needed more time um because at the moment their show schedule is including 67 shows which according to quick calculations works out to about 11 or 12 shows per day plus presentations um which are times when people just show their clothes without actually doing a catwalk um, and comparing this to, you know, New York, London and Milan and Paris, I think a lot of these shows are actually quite similar. Like it, it varies, but it's usually between eight to 12 or eight to 11 shows a day. Um, so I'm not sure if, you know, this is warranted, but perhaps considering the brands that are involved or the fact that they need more time, um, that might be warranted. 
I think you also mentioned that he needs kind of more days, essentially, not just kind of more time, that London and um, New York had both kind of like stolen days um, from the Milan fashion kind of week calendar. So that might be also something to consider. Perhaps, you know, fashion weeks are going to be shorter or longer in the future, depending on how these different kind of locations collaborate. You almost want to say, it's your turn, Milan. Being somebody, (laughs) you're based in London, you're based in the UK. Um, I was listening to the um, Anna Wintour uh, masterclass. I don't know in what context, but she mentioned the fact that Oh, I think it was talking about Burberry and how um, that that's really like put London Fashion Week on the map or it did years ago. And now it's like all of these independent emerging designers out there that are sexy and worth watching. Um, also, I mean, it's not the only one. J.W. Anderson. Um, what else did you mention is there? Anyway, it's, it's a draw in itself. But forever it was positioned, not positioned, it was regarded as a flyover fashion week where you'd go from New York. Maybe you'd hit Milan and kind of get settled before that week's started. Um, But yeah, Milan's not the only one that's dealing with, (laughs) I guess, um, issues with the crunch, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So with obviously with London, I think it's become more of, you know, a fashion week that brings real value. I think it's an exciting place to show off young designers. Um, And, you know, especially this season, you've got both Burberry and Raph Simmons showing in um, London. So I think it's both very big shows that, you know, will bring in crowds um, and will definitely not be kind of just a, a stopover. I think they would, they will actually have to, to stay in London and experience the, the you know, the September weather um, for, for, for people to actually see the, the shows. And there are some newcomers as well. So younger designers who have become particularly buzzy, like um, Chapova Luena, who's done the, the kind of safety pin skirts, and DePetso, who did the customized kind of wet look draped dresses and tops, which have been all over social media recently. So I think it's just a very exciting time for London as well. Oh my gosh. I'm like, you talking about all the fashion. It, it makes me really excited. <laughs> and you wonder, you know, when it was the first fashion week, fashion month back after the pandemic, after um, fashion weeks were pretty much skipped altogether. Um, the fact that everybody really came back or it was Shows were popular, I I would say, as a marketing tool um, immediately following Mm. the pandemic. And it seemed like there was almost a, I don't know, you hear about, what do you call it? Uh, Anyway, there was a comeback. Um, And you wondered if that was (laughs) going to stick. Um, And so it's nice to see the increased popularity of shows. um, And it makes me excited. What does it say to you about the the future of Fashion Week, the relevance of Fashion Month? Um, Is there a... Do you think that this will stick? Do you think that um, the what what I think and I want to hear your thought is that um, I don't think maybe within the week is going to be as important maybe moving forward, especially as some of the <laughs> these weeks get crunched. There are a lot of um, designers wanting to wanting a platform. Um, we are seeing other opportunities. I don't know that, um, you know, an Instagram show, which we've seen, um, whether it's video or imagery um, packs the same, I guess, media impact value. It doesn't. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of buzz about that maybe becoming the new runway. Um, what do you see as the future of Fashion Month? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's quite like telling that Burberry's previous show was held two weeks after London Fashion Week. And that this season, they're actually coming back 
to the London Fashion Week format and sticking within those dates. So obviously there must have been some kind of brand intention there. I'm not sure, obviously, when it comes to other brands or also perhaps brands who are looking to maybe do something different or who might feel some constraints within the London Fashion Week format or, to be honest, any of the Fashion Week formats. But I do think there's still, as you said, like there's still a lot of media value from being part of Fashion Week. Um, and especially, you know, as younger designers, like the ones at New York Fashion Week, including like Barrigan and Laquan Smith and all, even Altazara, um, benefit from, you know, having that exposure, from being involved in the industry um, and kind of being part of that whole week. So I'm not sure. I, I still think that there's a lot of value in Fashion Weeks. Um, and as much as it's interesting to see the new formats, I think a lot of people are just going back to what they know. Um, and I think that that's, that's kind of driving the, the kind of conversation around catwalks this season. I'm with you. It's interesting. I've, I've talked to um, young emerging brands like PH5 in the past that have said, you know, if you're not at Fashion Week, like you're almost forgotten if, as a brand. Like it makes you part of the conversation. It'll also be interesting to see if like the see now, buy now, if, the, if that's the brand's take um, as everything is so immediate. Um, and PS, what I was trying to think of before was like the word revenge, like revenge shopping. It's like revenge Fashion Week. <laughs> We're all coming back after after we couldn't before. But anyway, excited to run with that. Let's bounce on to the next topic, which is the MNA News, Estee Lauder acquiring Tom Ford, or I guess rumored to be acquiring Tom Ford. Um, gosh, why do you think this rumor has legs? Well, first of all, let's just say Estee Lauder pretty much confirmed, but they said um, we're one among mon- among many that can take on that brand. It's not, you know a done deal. It's not, they didn't even maybe position themselves as a front runner. They just said, yeah, we've, we've been interested. Um, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Obviously I don't think this means that Estee Lauder is going into fashion anytime soon. There's been, you know, some kind of news around it saying that they would probably sell off the rest of the parts of the business to other companies who might be more or well positioned to, to lead that fashion change. But I think for them, the value lies in Tom Ford Beauty, um, which, you know, experienced some double digit sales growth um, post pandemic. So I think for them, that's the main driver. Perhaps they're also looking for something that is quite reliable um, in building out their portfolio. I mean, this is a huge, huge deal. It'd be their biggest acquisition if they went through with it, um, at valued, I think, at $3 billion. So it's it's huge, huge investment um, and just would build out the, the kind of Estee Lauder portfolio. Yeah, I mean, they can become this epic conglomerate that is not just beauty focused. But then again, so from what I from what I understand, Tom Ford Beauty is a billion dollar brand in itself. Um, you know, the fashion side of things. I'm doing my be- uh, fashion briefing, which will be out on Friday as well, about kind of the the new interest in luxury fashion brands from investors, from shoppers. Um, I guess luxury shoppers in particular during the pandemic, I wouldn't say it's recession proof, but um, I would say it's thrived. Um, many brands have. Um, you got to wonder, I mean, it does, Tom Ford fashion in itself has a lot of value in playing to this kind of quiet luxury that that Charles Gross, our favorite um, TikToker, <laughs> it's my favorite, um, likes to talk about. It's not splashed with logos, but it is definitely, I would say, um, at the upper end of luxury fashion. It's like the row. It's like um, somebody who's going to splurge 
okay, maybe. Um, but it's definitely a unique customer. Um, so I think that is a challenge if you don't know the fashion space well. Um, but it is an iconic brand, I would say. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on <laughs> you? Th- they'll license it out. They won't take responsibility. That's what you're expecting if they if they go there. Yeah, I think so. I just think that, you know, on the kind of getting involved in like the fashion season cycle, um, the kind of clothing distribution production, I think it's just, it, it would be a huge lift for them to do alone. Um, and, you know, they're, they're kind of experts in their own field. And I'm sure that, you know, with the, the kind of recession news, I'm sure that they want to kind of go into something more reliable. I think the beauty side of things, maybe they would be able to expand and build on but I'm not sure about about fashion, kind of how they would even be able to to challenge that or um, start to kind of tackle that. So yeah, it might also just sell into you know perhaps advancing into an American luxury consumer, um, since obviously this isn't a major American brand, um, and also kind of like a heritage brand in some ways. Um, perhaps that's also something they're going for. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't, it's not a direct parallel to, for some reason it called to mind just with LVMH and Marc Jacobs. Um, mm. I was, I forgot that Marc Jacobs beauty is really missing in action, which is <laughs> under their, their Kendo umbrella, um, which has thrived. Like obviously LVMH has Sephora as well. It's, I wouldn't say that it's like a cautionary tale where don't play in an area you don't know well, but um, it is, I don't know, like why hasn't Marc Jacobs beauty thrived? Marc Jacobs wears uh, makeup. <laughs> it feels authentic. <laughs> it feels fun. Um, anyway, so maybe there's something to explore there. Last but not least, experiential retail. Tell me about this event you went to and what you saw. And um, yeah, it, it showed some good potential for, I guess, uh, <laughs> metaverse. Uh, in- metaverse. How, how do you describe it? I, I don't even know. What did you go to? <laughs> Yeah, of course. Um, So it was an event held last week, I think it was on Thursday, um, by Metaverse brand Cult and Rain, who have kind of been slowly growing in their space as kind of a luxury proposition for sneakers um, that they mix in with this kind of digital reality thing. Um, And so now with this event, they were trying to mix both the digital and the physical side of things. So they had this exhibition space where the sneakers were on display, similar to kind of like a standard retail environment. Um, But they also displayed their NFTs on like massive screens. And the um, good thing about Outeridge, which is this event space that's being built in uh, London, is that it has humongous 4K screens, um, which basically project onto every single wall. Um, And they're actually building out an even bigger space that's going to be available, I think, in September, October. So I'm sure we're going to see some brand activations there. But it basically means that you actually feel like you're in a digital environment. Um, which is quite rare because I think a lot of the times, you know, you get that digital physical divide and you can still kind of feel it. But here it it didn't feel like that. You actually felt like you were in it. Um, And they obviously blasted music and it was a very fun kind of party. But it kind of shows where the space could be going in terms of experiential retail going past kind of just personalization um, and, you know, new offerings from brands. Um, I think from from my perspective anyway, it just seemed like it was a lot more immersive than typical retail environments. Yeah, that is interesting. I'm with you. When the experiential play, it's either too experiential (laughs) (laughs) where you're like, where are the clothes? Um, But the integration of the two, I guess, 
content or experience and, and commerce and shopping um, it worked were people shopping were people um, was it a, more of a preview um, just um, wondering yeah I think it was probably more of a preview but I did see some people because there was little QR codes on <clears throat> each of the sneakers so I did see some people actually scanning them and to see the product you know to actually see if they could be in line to get it because it comes with an NFT drop and I think one of them had already happened and then this one was more about the kind of digital environment that they're building um, and this kind of metaverse space because they, they basically created this whole digital world which also kind of replicated what they were doing physically with like a digital shop, um, a digital exhibition center and like a digital meetup spot where they were, they had this like DJ who um, was streaming in from Miami through the screens. So it was very much like thought out kind of digital physical um, divides and seeing if they can integrate both communities, which was quite fun, but it was still just a preview. It would be interesting to kind of see, you know, what consumers like regular consumers would think just going into that space because it does probably feel quite native to someone who's into you know web3 and digital but wondering if you know (laughs) your everyday kind of like top shop or even like a luxury burberry brand consumer what would they think going into that space you were geeking out weren't you you're into it (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely um i think it's just like a big growth in like seeing brands get into experiences rather than just selling product. I think a lot of the times now, you know, people want a reason to go into shops that is more than just what they can do, you know, online. And a lot of that is tied into, you know, could they do something fun there? Could they snap pictures? Could they experience something, do a bit of gaming? Like that's the, that's the direction I'm seeing it head in. Yeah. I mean, as if physical retail wasn't costly enough, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would say, do you think like it depends, it's going to split where it depends on the shopper's mindset. They want convenience. For me, I'm a convenience shopper. Like if I go to a physical store, it's to like try something on for an event, get it, get out. Um, (laughs) Like I I just know I'm on a mission. So it's either convenience. and, And I think that in my eyes, moving online and things will have to be faster if I'm shopping online, um, maybe same day, next day delivery, whatever. Or if I'm going to go to a store, um, I'm almost thinking of it as an amusement park. Like I'm going to go and have fun today. (laughs) I think that's like how brands should see it now. Like obviously you should be able to try on garments, make sure that they fit you correctly and be able to kind of like touch fabric which is also something that a lot of like digital people are working on right now how you can kind of replicate touch um through digital technologies kind of similar to what haptic technologies are like with like nintendos where you can actually feel like the ball on your nintendo tennis racket or something like that um but anyway that's that's a different story but yeah i I outlined in in the article i wrote about it that a lot of convergence points seem to link that and the kind of experiential art exhibitions that are popping up everywhere i think everyone's kind of seen the the tokyo labs like multicolored lights exhibitions and the van gogh one which i think was in germany um, and London and, and people flock to those like it is huge so I think there's a real kind of brand opportunity in doing something like that um, and kind of bringing customers um, and just like curious people into that space yeah and it better say something about your brand in that fashion in order to <laughs> garner <laughs> some of the attention it better be good yeah. <laughs> to get those sales um, awesome well Sophia this was so good we punched through it fast it, great talking to you <laughs> 
Yeah, it was so fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Sophia, for being here. And thank you to all our listeners. If you haven't yet, please rate and review the Glossy Podcast on whatever platform you use. It really does help us a lot. And make sure to subscribe. Not only will you hear Week in Review every Friday, but I interview fashion industry insiders every Wednesday. Up next is Meg Strachan, founder of jewelry brand Dorsey. She's got a great founder story. Let's say it was a side hustle out of the gate and she did all the things for the first two years. She's amazing. So check it out.